0: This is episode number 192 with the Founder Fifth Birthday Highlights of the Founder Podcast.
1: What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help.
0: and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name's Nathan Chan. I'm the CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine and also the host of this podcast. Hope you have an awesome day wherever you are around the world. And guys, this is the last episode in this special fifth birthday series. Uh, I started Founder, as some of you guys might know, um, now like a total of four years ago and I start from my bedroom, not knowing anything about business, entrepreneurship, marketing, editorial magazines. I used to work in IT support at a travel company, and uh, I started, you know, the magazine as a side hobby, passion project, and here we are. So, uh, basically, you know, we've been doing a best of series that's been going through the most popular episodes and cut down into absolute gems and really the gold that we've extracted and condensed all for you around particular topics. And this final week of this series, we're focusing on hustle, motivation, mindset, and really just getting stuff done. Uh, Now, whilst I love the releases in this series so far, we've probably left some of the best to last for you. So guys, in this episode, you're going to be challenged, motivated, in a place to seriously take it to the next level, you're going to be so pumped up because you're going to hear first from Gary V, Jim Quick, Hal Alrod, and the King himself, Tony Robbins. So first up, we've got Gary V. Now, this guy's one of my heroes and is the king of hustle. I've learned so much from this guy. Uh, We've interviewed him two times now, and he owns a company called Vanya Media and also created this YouTube TV series called Wine Library TV. So... Basically, uh, this guy is probably one of the hardest entrepreneurs, superstars, influencers in the business at the moment. So I'm really, really excited. It was you know, awesome to speak with Gary. All right, guys, if you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. It'll help us more than you can imagine. And please do tell your friends. I know you must have other friends that are founders, entrepreneurs, share this podcast with them. And go check out founder.com, we've got so much content for you guys, here to help however we can. Now let's jump of the show. When I, like I, you know, I've been running Founder for about two and a half years, and I remember watching this video, i never heard of you, and the first video I ever watched was with, that I saw with you, you said something that was really, really striking to me, is you looked at the camera and you said the reason I am speaking to you and you're looking at the camera saying the reason I am speaking to you is because I've worked harder than you and you've just got this, this ridiculous mentality around hustle and drive. And I really want to tap into that and find like, wh- where did that come from, man? I think, um, so thank you. And I,
2: I, 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 Hold that move once or twice on on camera so and it's a good one right because it's it, it strikes so deep and I'll tell you why Nathan you you know doing what you do you've come across a lot of experts gurus thought leaders you probably at this point I, I'm giving you a compliment I could be wrong but I'm asking you I'm sure at some level, you feel pretty good about your radar of who's completely full of shit, who's got some level of chops, and who's got more chops, right? I would would assume that's something you probably pride yourself in.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
2: And the reason I asked that, and we don't know each other that well, so the reason I actually just said that was not to give myself a pat on the back and say, oh, and then you think I do. It's actually because you clearly resonated with a very raw, honest moment in me giving an interview, which is what that moment is, which is, that's just the truth, right? Like, like I'm probably equally talented to a lot of people out there. I think I have a lot of talent, but I think a lot of people do. What I'm completely convinced about, and it's really why I've started this new daily v kind of vlog on YouTube, is I just don't think people can outwork me. I, you know, when you're working 15 and 16 hours a day, every day, and you're working every minute. There's no downtime. I mean, I literally just checked into a hotel room. You know this because you just got a text from my assistant and Alex saying I might be 15 minutes late cuz I was literally just landed. I literally ran to the to the hotel room. I'm sitting in it right now, got the Wi-Fi, so this would be high quality enough, you know, sound. So, you know, every minute is accounted for where it came from. It came from being an immigrant. You know, my family came to this country with nothing. It came from watching my mom and dad work their faces off. My mom, three kids, no extra help. You know, laundry, cooking, cleaning up after myself. My dad, never around ever, working always. Uh, DNA, I think I just have it in me. And then probably the things that are a little more interesting for everybody who's listening, which is – maybe a little bit of gratitude and guilt. I know that I've been gifted with communication skills. I know that I've been gifted in the ability to make money. I I don't take them for granted. I think of them just as equally as big deal as being Beyonce or LeBron. Uh, It's just, it's talent. And I don't want to squander it. I know that I'm not average. I know that I got the gifts. I, I suck at a lot of things. I want everybody to know that there's a lot of things I stink at, but I was given the gifts that allow for success and I think the added aspect is the hard work. I like it. I like that I you know took two flights last night from Buffalo where my heart was broken by my New York Jets football team and they lost and didn't make the playoffs. But I took two flights. I landed in LA at two o'clock in the morning, LA time. I like that everybody who I was with on the trip thought that was crazy. But I had a quick one hour meeting in LA. I could have blew it off. I'm in LA this Thursday, But I felt that I could do it, and it was worth it. And now, boom, I'm in Vegas for CS, and I'm on this Skype, and I've got seven other meetings coming up the rest of this day, the day before the event. It's just in me, it's ingrained. My hustle is, it's better than everybody else's, so I have to bet on it. I bet on my strengths. I feel that I can outwork everybody, and then that's just where it comes from, I
0: guess.
2: Mm, You know what's funny, Nathan? It's practical. It's the thing that I recognize that I'm better at, and I've tripled down on it.
0: Yeah. Okay. I see. I see. Because, because, you know, this is something it's really interesting. Cause this is something that I talked with Tony Robbins about, because I, I understand this hustle and, and it's something that, that other people want, but how do you get it? Like, and he said to me that you have to go through some sort of adversity. And, and that's what happened to me. Like I was working in a shitty job and I just had enough and, and I just, you know, that's it. I'm going to do my own thing. like, did you experience some sort of adversity that, that changed things for you or, or have you always been I've, like this yeah, hustler I, since I, a little yeah. kid? Like.
2: Yeah, I mean, my adversity was early on because I was a shit student and I was an immigrant and every immigrant was a good student, but I knew that I was a businessman. My self-awareness was off the charts early on. And at 12, 13, I was like, I'm a businessman and I would stay up to, you know, as long as my parents let me back in sixth and seventh grade, working on my baseball card business, It's just always been there. I do believe adversity is the key. I think my adversity, to be honest with you, Nathan, was more global than yours, meaning you. And I don't, let me rephrase, let me take a step back. There's plenty of people that have more adversity than me. Mine was just from the beginning, right? I didn't speak the language in the country that I lived in. I was short. I was a bad student. Like my six year old to 18 year old, nothing on paper said that I was going to dominate other than what my mom was telling me and what I felt like in my head was. Telling me and the early successes of working my dad's store at 16, 17, and 18. That's what I hung my hat on. So yeah, I think Tony's right, and I think you're right. But I also think that motivation matters for a lot of people. I'm sure that you got fed up, but you were consuming in podcast or video form or from friends, like, hey, there's an alternative. Hey, there's an alternative. One of the things that I struggle with is and this is where we can get a little bit deep and I, I, I kind of was away for two weeks on vacation I'm just hitting the road today mm. back and uh, a lot of family time that matters to me when I can get at it Hol- holidays is a good time and so this is my first inter- interview off of something that I think I unlocked walking on the beach back and forth which is I have a major struggle I don't want to be Tony and Oprah and all these things that I can be and I've been naturally gifted it. I do believe that I could be one of the three or four or two or one most important voices for motivational entrepreneurship over the next 20, 30 years. And I don't want to do it because I think there's some stigma along with just being a pundit and a motivator. And so I, I four or five, I five years ago started running VaynerMedia, my agency, and now I've built it up to a hundred million dollar runway business out of. Needing the yin to the yang of, well, the reason people should listen to me is because I actually build businesses, not because I'm charismatic or have done it once 20 years ago. And so I struggle with the friction of back and forth of trying to figure out where I sit on that. But I think that it came to me out of some storytelling talent and just global adversity from the beginning. I never knew a world where I could work for somebody else. That was never in my cards. Even when my dad didn't own the liquor store because he was the manager and then he eventually bought it, even at a young age, I was slinging stuff, blow pops, you know, baseball cards, lemonade stands, washing cars. I am I think I over-indexed to an extreme. It just never even was in my consideration set to get a safe job.
0: And when it comes to your hustle, man, like, do you ever get burnt out? You know, maybe once or twice a year, I'll say, like, fuck this, you know? <laughs> yeah.
2: But very infrequently. I know why I'm doing it. Meaning it's my destiny. I enjoy it. I made my bed. I don't believe in complaining. I hate complaining. God, do I hate complaining. <laughs> and so I try not to complain a lot myself. I definitely don't complain about things that I've created. You know, I, I you'll never hear me complain that I wish I had more time with my family, right? Like, woe was me? I wish wish I was with my kids right now. So go be with your kids. You know, like like I hate when people complain about stuff where they made their decisions. I made my bed. I'm sleeping in it. I can change my bed. I have that power and I just roll. So, yeah, once in a while, something will be tough. You know, 74 consecutive bad things in a row chipped away enough at getting at me. Right. You know, something like that. But uh, for the mo- most part, I'm very happy. I'm I'm very aware that I have very little to complain about in the context of the world. And I try to keep it that way.
0: You know, uh, you and you and Alex, you guys, you guys know your biz dev. Like you guys have done a really good job. I'm really impressed. Um, thank you, mate. thank you. One question, one yes. final question, uh, and this is something I always find interesting: is you know what are, what are some of the biggest sacrifices you've had to make uh, to get where you are today? What have you had to give up?
2: In my twenties, I gave up having sex with girls. <laughs> I mean, I completely punted my social life in my 20s and teenage years. I got a lot of emails on Facebook when I started getting on TV in America in 2009 and 10 and 11. Mm. And a lot of – and Facebook was just blowing up and a lot of my high school friends emailed me and on Facebook because we hadn't talked in 10, 15 years. And they would say things like, the opening line was always, oh my god, I just saw young Conan O'Brien or Ellen or CNN. You're so lucky, blah, 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 blah. And I'd write every one of them back and say, I'm not lucky. Do you remember in high school and college when you went to the Jersey Shore and hooked up with chicks and drank beer and had fun and got a tan? I was in the liquor store 15 hours a day working. So I punted my social life for a decade. In the best decade. Like watching all these guys right now who are quote unquote entrepreneurs and putting pictures of money and private planes and hooking up with Instagram hot chicks. Like they didn't work as hard as I did. They're not. Now look. I'm not judging them. Fuck. I think they might be right in hindsight. A little fun wouldn't have hurt, but they're not going to outwork me.
0: All right. Next up, we've got Jim Quick. Now, this guy is an absolute learning machine. You're going to learn a lot of tricks around memory, brain training, life hacks, productivity, and also business building as well. So Jim's built a very, very successful business. And he's got such an inspiring story. He's can a really connected guy. In fact, like His achievements, you know, he's worked with people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Hugh Jackman, Will Smith, even Elon Musk. And he trains like Elon Musk's team, uh, all this crazy stuff. And he trains them, you know, how to remember their lines uh, for for whatever, like for actors and all sorts of insane stuff. Absolute master. Please enjoy this snippet. I know you guys are going to absolutely love this one. All right, let let's let's start let's start from the start. so you met this dude and he was kind of like he was kind of like a mentor right that kind of pushed you yeah
3: yeah, I mean I think you know we all have this the hero's journey mm. right We talk about superheroes and along the way you're you're in this area of you to you're on this quest right mm. and and you stumble and you go through struggles and then um and then some your Yoda you know shows up and it comes in different forms. Right, and so he was one of my one of my early mentors because I think everybody needs to have some kind of mentor, some kind of coach. Because I I don't believe people are, are self made. I mean, I think that we all have drive and we could all hustle mm. and we could all work, but we all stand on the shoulders of of other heroes, superheroes, if you will, and the wisdom you know of the ages and the people have come before. We all, even entrepreneurs that say they're self made, this self made, you know, they still had help, right? They had they had oh, their family, yeah. they had they had their friends, they had their their professors, they had their their colleagues, they had their clients, they had their customers, right? And so, um, you know, I'm always looking for in, individuals and ideas because I, I wake up every single morning, Nathan, thinking that at any moment I can have that, I can meet that new idea, that new individual that can completely change my life for the better. And I, I literally walk around with that anticipation.
0: Yeah. Wow. So, okay. So you met this guy. You you have this bucket list. I want to know to this day, like, do you still have that piece of paper? And what was on that bucket list? Hit us with that, man. People want to know this stuff. I'm yeah. sure.
3: I mean, I think uh, it's important to write your goals down. And so it's it's remarkable, you know. That there's that saying that says that you know most of us we we underestimate what we could do in a day or in a week or even a month. But I mean, we we overestimate what we could do in a short period of time. But we we grossly underestimate what we could do over time. And so I I think it's important to be able to write down your your goals, to be able to hit them and be clear about them also. And so looking back at that list, I was able to achieve the majority of the things on that list. Um, And now as you grow, right, you also, your vision grows for things. And I think you need that inspiring vision for yourself to pull you through the challenging times that are inevitable, right? Because just through life conditions, we all go through you know, these universal human experiences that challenge us. But I think going through these struggles, we get, we get strength. And so, for example, I do um, – so re- recently I, I got a call from uh, Sylvester Stallone right and you know rocky and he he asked to hey you want to see this fight that's going on there's a big fight going here going on in the states between mayweather and, and pacquiao and and mm. I was like yeah I would love to I would love to watch that that, that boxing match you know with rocky that that's a real privilege <laughs> so I go over to his home and uh, I'm sitting on the couch there and it's literally me Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger and it was just amazing right like if, wow. if somebody if somebody took a picture of that couch like People are like like who 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 photoshopped that Asian dude in that photo, <laughs> um, but it's just and afterwards you know I ask because I always think that genius you know and leaves clues right and so you ask questions and I I wanted these two successful individuals here I was like what does it take to be a champion to be the best and I remember asking Arnold and he has this phrase where he says Jim it's it's all about pushing through pushing past the pain period. And, you know, when you think about somebody who molds their body or people that, that molds their business, right. Or any, anything of value, the treasures in your life, financial and otherwise, you know, inevitably you're going to have challenges, but going through those challenges, you have change. I remember asking uh, Sylvester Stallone about, you know, I have this thing and I don't know if I should pursue this, this opportunity that, that this invitation here and pursue this, this line here. And, and he, he said, he looks at me and he says, Jim. He said, will the pleasure be worth the pain? You know, will the pleasure be worth the pain? And, and these, are, these are two champions. And I'm talking about, when I talk about superheroes, I'm talking about you know, in any industry, whether it's technology or if it's in the arts or it's in philanthropy, you know, when people are moving, pushing their dreams forward and they reach a level where they just have you know, major impact, I want to know what that is. But no, the theme here is just is inevitably you're going to have problems. And struggles, but through my 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 two biggest struggles, it's so interesting to reflecting on it right now today. It was learning and public speaking. I was one of those kids because I felt like I was broken. I would, the teacher would say, Jim, you know, speak on, give a presentation on your book report. I would do the book report, but I would actually lie to the teacher and say I didn't do it because I was so terrified of public speaking because I was always afraid that people wouldn't think I was smart enough. And I would actually, afterwards, I would just, I would take a failing grade. and I would throw my book report out, even though I did it. And it's, you know, it's so funny though, though that learning and public speaking was my biggest challenges. And now that's, think about what I do, you know, week to week. That's all I do. Is I say public speak on learning. <laughs> and the universe has a, has a real, sense of, real, real sense of humor. So my, my point in bringing this up is inevitably we have challenges. And, uh, and if we allow it, it these struggles can be, become our strengths. And uh, and and also it could be our the way we serve, and you know going forward, you know even when I was had these challenges because I think everyone's great to have a to do list, but I you know it's it's also great to have a to learn list, because I think learning is the ultimate superpower. It precedes all. Like if you want your business to grow, I believe that you that you have to grow first, and the the father of all personal development or all growth is is learning, Mm, and the faster. And the faster you can learn, the faster you could earn in this society, because right now we live in this very competitive information age, where information it feels like we're you know trying to take a sip of water out of a fire hose. I think one of the it feels like it right like yeah. how many how many emails do you get a day? right? Oh, many, hundreds, man! It's it's crazy, dude. How many how many how many books unread books do you have on your shelf? Like to people <sighs> listening?
0: Don't and even so, get me started, man! It's and crazy. So it's a, yeah.
3: And it's one of the biggest things and that, you know, knowledge is, you know, it's not only power, knowledge is profit nowadays, right? The right knowledge, like with, with what you do with your podcast, the amount of information people could, what I love about a book or I love about podcasts is if somebody has decades of experience and, you know, like a Tony Robbins or like a Gary Vee or these amazing individuals, the Richard Bransons, the people that, that you get to meet and be able to ask, you know, they have decades of experience and you could listen to a podcast or read their book in a day or whatever, then you can download decades into days and really accelerate your growth. And that's, I think, the fastest way. I think entrepreneurs nowadays they have to be committed to lifelong learning and schedule learning time every single day. Not just the things, you know, checking emails and project management and going on call. I, I think you have the schedule nowadays just your learning time, your time to listen to that and listen to a podcast today. You know, do thirty minutes of reading every single day. Because if you're not feeding your mind, then um, then you're then you're falling behind.
0: Yeah. Wow, dude, you got me for offer, man. Like. <laughs> What I know we don't have like all day that we could talk. What is some of the biggest things around leverage that you could share with the audience right now around let's let's just break it down. Let's just start with
3: with focus and memory. Yeah, let's like, do it.
0: Yeah. Let's get some quick wins, okay. action items. Like so, what, what so are some things,
3: man? Everyone's gonna to want to write these down. I'll go through it super fast. I just wanna my, my goal here, Nathan, is just to give your listeners just this is what you could do right now, right? And so here's here's some frameworks. I'm going to give you, like, four tips to learn anything faster, any subject, any skill, from Mandarin to martial arts, you know, Polish to, to, you know, the piano, if you will, all right? So remember this, acronym. remember this, FAST, F-A-S-T. And if you want to learn anything faster, just remember FAST. The F stands for forget. And so you have a subject or skill you want to learn. The first step I would say is temporarily forget what you already know about the subject. And the reason why is because a lot of people don't learn really fast because they feel like they know something too much about it already, right? It's hard to learn marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, leadership. If you feel like you already know what that is, you're not going to be really receptive to new information, right? It's, it's, it's cliche, but your mind is like a parachute. It only works when it's open. So forget what you temporarily know so you can learn something new. Uh, The other thing I would say forget is forget about situational things. So if you're on a pod, if you're listening to a podcast, you're reading a book, you're in a seminar, you're learning something new, forget about what it's what's not relevant, urgent, and important at the moment, because we can only be aware of so many things, right? You know, George Miller out of Princeton, Harvard said seven plus or minus two, you know, some people say four things they'd be aware of at any time. But if you're thinking about, if you're in a, listen to a podcast, or you're trying to multitask, do all these things, and two bits are thinking about the kids, you know, one bit's thinking about the client, it only leaves you like one bit to think about what you're really there to learn right? So forget about things that are going on. I would say, I'll say, forget about your uh, limitations because most people grossly, they, they don't know what they don't know. And most, most people suffer from learned helplessness. The A and FAST, is active. You want to be active. You want to activate your learning. And what I mean by that is most people are very passive in their learning. They they're used to because they grew up with the 20th century education that prepared us for a 20th century world. They sit passively and they try to consume information and that's not how you learn as we talked about. The tweetable for this is learning is not a spectator sport learning is not a spectator sport so you can't sit on the bench and expect to just learn something so you want to be active you want to ask questions you want to be able to take notes you want to be able to to participate and create this information I teach like a lot of different ways of taking notes that kind of thing the s and fast this is very important stands for state state and you've heard this word before the state is like a snapshot of your your mind your the mood of your mind and your body and the reason why it's important is because if you're in just a a bored, dull state, which is most of education, right? Sitting in class, being you know bored and lectured to. If, if your state is on a scale of zero to 10 is zero, zero times anything is zero. And so here's the thing when it comes to your memory. Information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory. Information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory. And you know this listening to this because isn't there a song or a smell, a perfume, a cologne, a a food that takes you back years. Because that emotion tied to information stored it as a long-term memory. It got encoded and stored that way. And so I would say most people learn something in a very dull, bored state, and that's how it gets coded. So when you try to retrieve it and recall it out, it doesn't come out because it wasn't put in the right way. And I would say that who controls our state? We do, right? We control our our state. our our mood, our feelings, our emotions based on what we think and how we move our body. And so focus with our questions and also moving because there's certain movements you could do that actually – I mean, just even just shaking your body out because we're stuck, as entrepreneurs, we're stuck on our laptops all the time staring, and we're not. You know, they say sitting is a, you know is a new is a new smoking. <laughs> right? but, you know, that's why we have standing desks, and treadmill desks, but you got to move around. But that, that the other reason why you want to do it is because it changes your physiology, which affects your psychology and the way you feel, and so change your state. And we are responsible. I remember I got to introduce. Uh, Two of my superhero mentors uh, together for dinner. It was Sir Richard Branson and Stan Lee. Stan Lee, and Stan Lee is like the creator of X Men, Avengers, Iron Man. You know, you know, X, like uh, all these teams. And uh, and I, I picked up Stan. And we're going to dinner, and we're in L.A. traffic. takes so long. I was like, Stan, who, who's your? Uh, you created all these superheroes. Who's your favorite? And he says, Iron Man. And he says, Jim, who, who's your favorite superhero? And I said, Spider-Man. And, and of course, and he, and, and he says, right away, as soon as I say Spider-Man, he says, with great power comes great <laughs> responsibility. You know, everybody knows that. Everyone listening. You don't remember where we heard it. It's yeah. in the A. And I was like, Stan, you're, you're right. With great power comes great responsibility. And you know, what's, what's true also is because my mind always flips things, you know, and inversely and stuff. It's like with great responsibility comes great power. You know, so I reverse it. With great power comes great responsibility, but also with great responsibility comes great power. And what I mean by that is when we take responsibility for things, we have great power to change it for the better. And a lot of people, they, they don't want the responsibility because they don't want the burden of it. But when we take responsibility, right, we have the ability to respond, we have great power to change things. And I think everyone listening to this, and when I bring it up, I bring it up because we are responsible most of all for how we feel. And it's the difference between, you know, what I think an entrepreneur, a visionary takes the invisible and make it visible, right? Mm. It's Walt Disney, you know, having this vision for this theme park. And then all of a sudden, you know, it comes, it starts with their mind and it goes out, start talking about goals and such. But the other, the other reason I, I, I bring that up is I think we're like entrepreneur, everyone listening to this, aspiring entrepreneurs, established entrepreneurs, people are winning. that They're like the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat you know a thermometer is something think about it it just it's it's a device that reacts to the environment right it reacts to the temperature of the environment and reflects what the environment's giving it but a, a thermostat is completely different from a thermometer a thermostat sets a goal it sets a standard it sets a vision and and the environment changes and 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 raises to that standard right mm. So that's what I believe in entrepreneurs. When I say an entrepreneur are the modern day superheroes that are wearing these capes, they're the ones that are setting a standard, setting a level of value and sharing that with the world, you know, no matter what stage that you're in right now. And so be that thermostat. And, that, and when I'm talking about raising like your, 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 your goals or your expectations there, start with like how you feel. Right. Because a lot of people, their thermometers, they react to the the weather, the economy and how their clients are treating. I mean, we're all human. Right. It all affects us some way. But to the degree we're going to be happy is to the degree and successful is to the degree we have the locus of control. Right. That agency inside and not from the external world. And so I would start with your state. So control. You want to learn something faster. Put yourself in a state where you're curious, where you're fascinated, you know, and, and people think like, oh, I've been doing this for so many years and, and that's what keeps them from learning because they, their cup is full, right? You know, why so you have to forget what you know, so you can empty it and put yeah. something brand new. But the other thing is, is that state, you know, people think they're so clever. You want to trade your cleverness for bewilderment, right? You want to trade your cleverness for curiosity and fascination. Who are the fastest learners on the planet, right? Children. They can learn musical instruments and, 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 and languages and everything. They, they learn so because they, they know they don't know. And they're fascinated by every little thing. That's the state that you want to be in and cultivate. And finally, the T and FAST stands for teach. And what I mean by that is if you learn, like, you know, I can go through speed reading and memory and how to remember names, you know, on this conversation. But if you had to learn it as if you're going to teach it to someone else tomorrow, would you pay attention differently? Would you have more or less focus? Right? If you had to teach it to someone tomorrow, would you take notes differently? Would you ask questions and tweet and, and participate differently? Of course you would. Because here, here's the tweetable. When you teach something, you get to learn it twice. When you teach something, you get to learn it twice. You know, all the time you hear this quote, and I'm guilty of thinking about it too, but when you hear this quote saying, those who can't do, teach, right? Those who can't do business, teach business. and And honestly, growing up when I heard that, I never thought it was a negative are an insult. I, I thought like, wow, those who can't do teach. So if I can't do something, teach it and then I can do it. Right. And so mm. when you teach something to somebody or you learn to teach it to someone, which is the reason why you want to learn anything, you want to learn it because of what it's going to help you with. But the other reason to learn something is so you can pass it on and share it with somebody else. Right. Maybe even in the form of a business. But when you teach it, you, ha- you, you own that information more. And so learn it as if you're going to teach. So I would say the framework for learning faster, really quick, fast. Forget what you already know and your limitations, situational things. Be active and participate. Roll up your sleeves and get involved. State is control like your moods and your feelings because if you're bored during that time, you're not going to learn it. But be curious and, um, and fascinating. And finally, learn is to, with the outcome to teach it to somebody else, and you'll learn it so much better.
0: Mm. Okay man so let's do this let's do this name exercise. You see, you dropped a hint that you would you would you would teach us.
3: Oh okay so there's there's many <laughs> so we teach dozens of ways of teaching people how to remember names because I think if there's one you know outside of accelerated learning and reading faster I think that ones, one of the most important business etiquette networking skills on the planet the number one by far is the ability to remember people's names. So first recognize that it's an important skill that can be learned. Yes. Okay. And so, and the reason why is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's really hard to show somebody, I'll say it again, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So before you sell anything, like you, whatever your business is, you, people, how are you going to show people you're going to care for their health, their finances, their business, their family, their future, if you don't care enough just to remember their name? Okay. So mm. it is that important. Like I can't tell you how many people have heard a relationship or killed a deal or killed a sale because they forgot the person's name or they called someone by the wrong name. Right. Mm. And so I would say there are three keys to a better memory. It doesn't matter what it is, names or otherwise. You want to remember mom, M-O-M. And so the M, well, let's say somebody has trouble remembering people's names. But somebody has a suitcase of $100,000 cash, you know, or in your, you know, whatever currency for that country. If you just remember the name of the next person you meet, you get that, you get that reward. Who's going to remember that person's name? Everyone. Every, everyone, everyone, everyone. Because all of a sudden, no, no. Watch this. Thing. It had no, all, all. Everyone has trouble remembering names. Ninety-nine percent of the population admit they, you know, admitted to me they have trouble remembering names. Yes. But all of a sudden, there's a suitcase full of money for them. And who who remembers a person's name? Everyone's a memory expert. All of a sudden, no technique, no no skill, no strategies. So the M stands for motivation. Motivation. And the reason why I bring it up is notice it had nothing to do with your potential or your capabilities. Everybody has that capability. Did you want to remember the names? Because nobody here remembers everyone's name unless they've been trained or something or they have that gift. But nobody forgets every name either. There are names that you remember, people you're attracted to, people who could be a big sale for your business, whatever it is. There's motivation. And what I would say for remembering names, quick tip is, as you're meeting somebody, ask yourself in your mind, why do I want to remember this person's name? Simple question. Why do I want to remember this person's name? Maybe it's to show this person respect. Maybe it's I want to make a new friend. Maybe it's I want to make, you know close a deal. Whatever it is, maybe I want to practice these tips I learned from Jim Quick, right? Because here's the thing: if you can't come up with one reason, you won't remember. Because mm. here's the here's the tweetable: reasons reap results. Reasons reap results. That's in- gold. Yeah, at, at Jim Quick, K-W-I-K. <laughs> and right, let's but, keep moving. Let's keep moving. So that's, that's the M. The O in mom stands for observation, observation. And here's the thing. This is, this is, this is gold and platinum for everyone here. A lot of people say that they, they have a challenge remembering names. They're not forgetting the name. They blame their retention, but it's really their attention. All right, so one of the most amazing individuals that I had the opportunity to meet multiple times is President Bill Clinton. And regardless of your political stance, you know, everyone will say he's a connector, he's a communicator, he's got great charisma. What people don't know, you know as a leader is he's got an incredible memory. And incredible! Every time I've met him, you know he's remembers my name, remembers our conversations. He asked about topics I'm interested in, and he, that, that's a leadership skill. And he's got this powerful presence. I remember asking him, you know, President, how do you remember you know people's names? What memory techniques do you use? And he tells me these stories, and not you actually using a technique, but his grandfather would get the kids around in Arkansas and ask them questions. I um, mean, tell them stories and ask them questions after to see if they were listening. And I, and I just noticed he's—I mean—he's got an incredible, powerful presence. But I think his incredible memory and his powerful presence comes from being powerfully present. And what I mean by that is, have you ever met someone, Nathan, and they just, when you're talking to them, they're really there with you? Yes. You know, they're not like looking over your shoulder, which we often do at events and conferences, seeing seeing who else is in the room, because we're we're all so wired with social media and we have no attention span anymore. And if we don't look around and distract ourselves visually, we're not even really listening we're actually thinking about, we're having a conversation inside our minds thinking, how am I going to respond to this person? So we're not even present. But I think a powerful memory, or in his case, a powerful presence, comes from being powerfully present. So I would say the key to learning, you know, listen, remember someone's name, is just observing it and listen. If you take the word listen, scramble the letters, it becomes a second word, and it becomes a word silent. If you scramble the letters and listen, it becomes the word silence. So I would say, be silent, hear the name. And finally, the M, the second M in mom, stands for mechanics. And these are the not the person that fixes your car, but these are the tips, the strategies, the techniques on on how to remember names, on on how to give a speech without notes, and how to read a book a day. You know, but you with the mechanics aside, motivate. If you don't want to remember a name, and if you're not paying attention, the mechanics are secondary. Dude, you're
0: a super powerful guy, obviously extremely connected. How did you work your way up to meet all these, you know, super powerful people, interesting people and and actually, you know, get their time and 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 for them to take you seriously to to be able to train all of these people? And what are you what are, what are, what is the number one so two two part question. How did you meet all these people and work your way up to train all these people and become uh, a thought leader in this space? And then number 2 is out of all of these people you've met, what is the one of the biggest commonalities or takeaways that you could give?
3: Okay, so my, my initial stream of consciousness reaction would be, first of all, I think it's important for an entrepreneur to be an expert at their, their, their craft, right? Yeah. I, I don't believe that to really succeed well, you could succeed at the highest level just dabbling. Yeah. And that's why I see as a lot of people who are aspiring entrepreneurs, they are everywhere. And when you're, when you're everywhere, you could be nowhere. And that's, that's a big challenge. And so I would say really the focus is so important. So my focus, while I could do lots of different things, I focus completely to be a master of my craft. And so I think the highest level achievers respond to that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because they see, they see, they see, because in order for them to be as successful as they are, whether it's people like, like an Elon Musk or, or Will Smith, they, they'll reach that certain level, then they, they respond to that in kind. So I say be an expert. So that's why learning is so important to be able to do that. Read everything you can on your craft, study it. The other thing with these individuals is whenever I'm meeting these individuals, I never have an agenda. And this is true for every single person I meet. I don't come there, whereas a lot of people who are there, they they scream like, what's in it for me and trying to get something from these people i've never asked anyone i have the opportunity to work with to for an endorsement i've never asked them to be able to to tweet something or post on social media i look to be able to primarily to give and that's mm-hmm. my passion it doesn't matter who who i work with and it, this is not i whatever i post on instagram and facebook and twitter happens to be that because it's just these interesting stories because I you know but the people that I spend time with is just you know, children, students with learning challenges, seniors that are you know, suffering from brain aging, entrepreneurs and educators, you know, every, everyday people. Those, that's my p- favorite people to work with. But the other thing besides not having an agenda or an ulterior kind of motive there is to be true to yourself and remember them. And I think it's so important when you're with these individuals to really listen to what they're saying, not think about what your agenda is. And I remember the things about them so I could follow up with these individuals and have meaningful conversations about what's most important to them. And I would say the thing that I notice with all of these individuals is they're they're hungry, right they all they all hustle. Nobody gets to this area of success um, just by accident. And I would say a commonality with these individuals, it is, is that they, they are, they, they're hungry, they're hustled, they, they have, they have a mission there. And just like with Will Smith, it's, you know, I got to spend with him, you know, just recently a week on set for a film that's coming out. It's a superhero film. I cannot wait for it to come out. But it's just like, I was like, how do you prepare for this? I prefer it. He's like, he's like, Jim, I, I don't, I don't have to get prepared, you know, or get ready. I, you know, I stay ready. How awesome is that? because he he lives, he lives his things, and he's ready. He's ready. He doesn't have to get prepared. He stays prepared. and that that's the thing that the level of congruence, rarely do people see the level of sacrifice that goes on behind the scenes for people to get. And you know this from from talking to so many people, all these individuals, the struggles and the sacrifice, the challenges, the failures, the disappointments, the no's that they had to receive along the way. And most people, just like when I started talking about Arnold, and most people have to build your body, they won't push through the pain period and they won't do the extra set or those extra reps that they're going to get all the benefit from. Same thing with their business. So you, you need something that's going to push you through there. So I would say the commonality is these people are hungry, and they put in the effort, and they're lifelong learners. These people don't have to be sold on any kind of development because they are hungry for that advantage. They're hungry to learn the next thing so they could serve and, and, and advance their craft. And that's the good thing about this is, I'll challenge everyone who's listening to this, it's available to all of us every single one of us of us you know even when i talked about it, i was i was the most challenged one of the most challenged kids growing up and i'm just saying when you make a decision and you're on, you're on purpose to find out what it is that even if you're going through some dark sides you know that could be a that could be pulling you back like a slingshot that's going to leap you forward so, you know, so those setbacks and stuff, it can be the groundwork for building your 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 personal empire, whatever, whatever that may be. And I don't just talk about financial treasure. I mean all the treasures in your life.
0: Hey guys, I really hope you're feeling inspired from today's interview. The truth is, there's never been a and 24 seven real human support try founder plus today for just one dollar for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence you can visit founder.com forward slash founder plus trial or click the link in our show notes to claim your trial all right now let's jump back in the show okay guys so next up is how Alrod, and he's got such an amazing story Uh, The stuff that he's doing with the Miracle Morning, the book, is absolutely incredible. This movement, this empire he's created is amazing. And just the Miracle Morning itself and how he teaches people to wake up early and all this kind of stuff around, you know, if you struggle to get up early, you struggle to be more productive and you want to have a morning routine and a ritual that really kicks off the day and just wake up super energized, how absolutely rock this. All right, guys, now let's jump in. You have such an amazing... Uh, story, dude. So, for everyone listening, I uh, I spoke at uh, an event called Tropical Think Tank, uh, March two thousand and sixteen, and that's where I met How, and I was so blown away uh, by his story. And, dude, your talk at that conference was amazing. Like, I was just like, wow, like. Man, I almost teared up a little bit, like you know how to tell a good story, dude. So I had to speak to you and gave me on the podcast. And Thank you, you man. gave me so much gold, man. It was crazy. And one of the biggest um, things that I love the most about your talk, is heaps of things, but one thing I just have to say is that piece on can't change that. Can yeah. you
1: can you share that? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And this is one of the most valuable lessons that I have, you know, learned and and taught and embodied, if you will. And the, so here's what happened. So the, the car accident happened. Six days later, I came out of the coma. And I, you know, it, I mean, it's a pretty, <laughs> you wake up in a hospital bed and you're like, what, what, how did I get here? And then they're telling me, you know, my parents are telling me you were hit by a drunk driver. You, you might never walk again, right? On and on. And it's like, it, it's a pretty difficult reality to accept, you know? and. After a few days, um, I, uh, I I was kind of just really positive and, and optimistic, and I was ha- laughing and joking and kind of back to my old you know happy-go-lucky self, and the doctors called my parents in a week after I came out of the coma, so two weeks after the accident, and the doctor said, we're, you know, we want to give you an update on Hal's condition. Physically, he's made it through the worst, you know, because actually I died, I flatlined twice more while I was in the coma. So I was, I mean, it was really, I was in very critical condition and they were just trying to keep me stable so that I would, I would be alive, you know. And they said, physically, we've gotten him through the worst. He is stable, you know, and, 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 you know, we don't know if he's going to walk again, but, but, you know, he's, he's, he's alive and he's going to live. And they said, but mentally and emotionally, we believe that Hal is in denial. And, you know, my parents, of course, were kind of concerned and the doctor said, well, my parents are asking, you know, well, why, why do you think he's in denial? And the doctor literally said, well, he's always smiling and laughing and joking and he's, he's always making us laugh. And they said, that's not normal. You know, that's not normal for a 20 year old young man who he's being told he may never walk again, to be like, oh, okay, you know, and just be all happy. And they said, we believe that, and we've seen this with accident victims, where his reality now is so unimaginable, so painful for him, he can't accept it, so he's checked out. And he's just like, hey, yeah, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to face how difficult this is, so I'm going to pretend like everything's okay. And they said, but what happened, eventually he has to face it. And that can cause, you know, he could have a breakdown and it could turn to, you know, suicide or drugs or alcohol or whatever. So we would love for you to talk to him, find out how he's really feeling, get him to admit that he's, you know, the emotions he should be feeling are, you know, sad or scared or depressed or angry. And he needs to face those emotions so that we can help him work through them. And so my mom and my dad actually came in, you know, probably probably. I don't know, 15 minutes later, I I didn't know the conversation was happening. And he sat me down and I was laying in my hospital bed. Keep in mind, this is a week after the crash. So I'm like, you know, my arms broken, my legs broken, my pelvis is broken in three places, my eye sockets broken, my ears almost completely severed from my head. It's like sewn on my the top of my skull was sliced. So like, I'm I'm in bad shape, you know, and I'm sitting in my hospital bed, I'm laying there, can't really move. And my dad comes in and he says, Hal, uh, you know, can I talk to you for a minute? And I look over, and he's like, you know, trying not to cry, and his eyes are all red and swollen. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh gosh, he's got some, you know, bad news for me. And he explains the doctor's concerns, and he asks me, how, you know, it's okay to be sad or angry or depressed. I know you like to be positive, but, you know, gosh, look what's happened to you. It's, let's go through these feelings and talk about them. It's okay to feel this this way. He goes, how are you really feeling? Come on, and. I really, you know, I could tell he was upset. And so I really thought about it. I'm like, am I, am I in denial? Like maybe maybe I am. Am I sad, angry, depressed? And I just don't even realize it. And I, I really give it thought, Nathan. And I look at my dad and I said, I just kind of shook my head and smiled. I said, dad, I thought you knew me better than that. I said, I remember I lived my life by the five minute rule that I learned in my Cutco sales training. And he says, remind me again what that is. And I said, it's okay to be negative when things go wrong, but not for more than five minutes. And I said, dad, we learned this in Cutco training that, you know, when something goes wrong, you can't change it. You can't, unless you're Marty McFly with a time machine, right? You can't go back in time and change it. So there's no value in wishing that you could. I said, what's the point of me being depressed or sad or angry or all the things the doctor said I should be? I said, I can't change it. So the only logical choice that I've decided that I have is to accept this fully and be the happiest, most grateful I've ever been, even though I'm going through the most difficult time in my life. And I said, dad, there's only one of two possibilities. And for anybody listening, I want you to consider how this applies to your life. I said, possibility number one is the doctors are right and I will never walk again. And I said, dad, I've already thought that through. I'll call that the worst-case scenario. I'm sure there's probably worse, but I'm going to say it's the worst-case scenario. I said, Dad, and I've decided if I'm stuck in a wheelchair for the rest of my life, as the doctors are thinking and probably will be, I will be the happiest person you've ever seen in a wheelchair because I'm in a wheelchair either way. So I can either be miserable in the wheelchair and be like, this shouldn't happen. And I was supposed to be da, 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 da. And I I don't deserve this. I'm a good person. And this victim mentality, dad, that doesn't serve me. So I'll be the happiest person you've ever seen in a wheelchair. And if you're listening to this right now, my question for you is what's your wheelchair? Like what's a circumstance in your life from your past, or maybe it's your present, or maybe it's You're you're worried about it for the future, but something that's out of your control, like you can't go back in time and change it, but it it causes you pain. And and, and here's the thing is it doesn't cause you pain. It's you create pain because you're not willing to accept it and be at peace with it. And that's where I was able to override the pain and and just remove myself from it because I thought I'm not going to create pain over something I can't change. If I can't change it, I'm actually going to do the opposite and I'm going to be happy and grateful despite it. I said, dad, that's one possibility in a wheelchair the rest of my life. The second possibility is I will walk again. I don't even know if that's possible. It, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, I don't know. But dad, because I, I until I'm proven that it's not possible, I'm putting all of my energy into that. Instead of being upset about what I can't change or what's out of my control, I'm putting all my energy into walking again. I'm visualizing it every day. I'm thinking about it every day. I'm praying about it every day. I'm imagining it like all my energy goes into what I want because I've already accepted what I don't want. I've already accepted the worst case scenario and made peace with it. And so, Nathan, that's what I call the can't change it philosophy, right, is that when something goes wrong, something that – you know, and wrong is a relative term. A lot of times something that we think is wrong in the moment, down the road we look back at and go, gosh, that was actually one of the greatest experiences of my life. It was difficult at the time, but it made me who I am today. So why, why do you have to wait you know, for the future to realize that our adversity usually does make us stronger, right? Right, Nathan, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you what? Strong. And in my case, even if it kills you, but you come back, you, it still makes you stronger, right? So, so that's it. I mean, for me now, you know, I implement this every day. If I'm in traffic, I go, you know, son of a, uh, I started to frustrated. Then I go, wait a minute, can't change it. Can't change that I'm in traffic, but I can choose to be happy and grateful. Grateful while I'm stuck, you know, behind these cars in front of me. And I found that it's one of those universal principles for happiness, because when you accept all things you can't change, you you unlock the door to emotional freedom. You give yourself permission to be happy no matter what's going on around you because what really determines your happiness is what's going on inside of you. And in order to perform at our best in business, you've gotta be able to accept what you can't change so all of your energy can then be focused into what you can change and what you can create for yourself, for your business, for your clients, et cetera, et cetera. So I did, you know, I did a lot of research on this when I was, you know, doing the miracle morning for myself. And then especially when I started writing the book, like this was never supposed to be a book. It wasn't a book idea. It was, I, uh, hit kind of a low point in 2000, started in 2007 when the economy, the U S economy started to crash. Um, at that time I had started a business. I was, you know, a a success coach, business coach, and life was great. I bought my first house, kind of bought, bought my dream car. And, uh, and then when the economy crashed, it kind of felt like it was overnight, you know, it was kind of a downward spiral, probably about a 6 month downward spiral. But I started losing clients just because not because I was a bad coach, but just they just they were affected by the economy. You know, they were in sales most of them or they were in biz- business owners and all of a sudden their business started drying up and then they're like Hal, I I can't afford coaching anymore, you know. And I was like, "Oh, okay, well, I'm not going to hold you to it. Like, you know, you, you got to pay your mortgage and put food on the table for your family, you know." Uh, and then it was I lost over half of my clients and lost over half of my income and uh so then I you know canceled my gym membership I stopped exercising i i i I lost my house i couldn't pay my mortgage um and it was i i got i went deep 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 in debt um over fifty thousand dollars in credit card debt and over three hundred thousand dollars in total debt. And, um, I got really depressed. I was just, I, you know, as an entrepreneur, so much of our self-worth is attached to our business and just so much just, just our identity, right? It's like, you know, if you, especially as a success coach, Nathan, like it was, I was a mess because I'm like, I'm a success coach and I can't succeed. Like what, wh- wh- I'm a mess, you know? And so I, I when I, I started after the six month, I finally kind of drew a line in the sand and I went, wait a minute, I got to figure, I got to change something. Something has to change. And I started just Googling, like, what are the world's most successful people do every day that I'm not doing? And I kept coming across early rising, morning rituals, right? And I wasn't a morning person, just like you, Nathan, right? Like, I wasn't a morning person. And so I was like, I would skip. I'm like, no, 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 no. What else do they do? Like, yeah, yeah. A lot of them wake up early, but what else do they do that doesn't require waking up early, you know? And finally, I don't remember which article it was, but I read, I just kept coming across. It over and over and over to where I couldn't deny it. And I was like, all right, look, if I want to be one of the world's most, you know, successful people and make a big impact, I need to do what the world's most successful people do. And if they're waking up earlier than the, the half to time of being, you know, getting to the office, I need to do I need to give it a try. And so I woke up the next morning, and I just I, I started googling like what what do the, what do they do during the time when they wake up, and I came up with a list of six practices that were like the world's most proven, timeless, fundamental personal development practices. And I woke up the next morning and I did all six of them, ten minutes each for an hour, and that was the morning my entire life changed because even though my outer world. You know, Nathan, it was a mess. I like, you know, I'm still in debt. I was still losing my house. I was still in the worst shape of my life physically. My body fat percentage had increased by 300% in 6 months. Like I was I was a mess. And w- that morning, I went by the end of my 1-hour, you know, it wasn't called the Miracle Morning back then. Didn't have a name, but my 1-hour morning ritual, if you will, that's now known as the Miracle Morning, I felt inspired and empowered and motivated and I thought, After six months of depression that morning, I went, dude, if I start every day like this, it's only a matter of time. Like, I feel like I'm on fire and I'm unstoppable. And I didn't feel this way the last, you know, 180 days. I've, I've felt depressed and I've, you know, hated getting out of bed because it was like my only safe haven for my problems. And this is a game changer. This could be the one thing that changes everything. And I'll wrap this part of the story up and turn it back over to you in a second after I tell you the results, because this is, this is why, by the way, Nathan, what I'm about to share with you, this is why it's called the miracle morning. It's called the miracle morning because w- less than two months after I did my very first one, my results were so profound. It felt like a miracle. So I started calling it my miracle morning and writing that in my schedule. And here was the miracle. It was in less than two months, I more than doubled my income from $5,000 a month to $12,000 a month in two months. And if you say, well, okay, how did you do that? I, I didn't get a new job or another stream of income. It was doing the exact same business that I had been doing, but it was simply the clarity and the confidence and the beliefs and the knowledge that I was gaining and acquiring and developing in the morning gave me what I needed to double my clients, right? That was simple. The second thing I did was I went from being in the worst shape of my life physically having, you know, like I said, increased the body fat percentage by 300%. I went from that to deciding to run a 52 mile ultra marathon. I had never run more than a mile in my life, never more than one mile because I hated running. But the miracle morning had me so fired up. I was like, well, how could I challenge myself physically, and I decided to run a you know double marathon. And, and then last but not least, my depression that had been worsening over six months, it was gone. It was, I mean, it was literally gone. And it didn't take two months for that. That went away like within a matter of days because once you have a compelling future, and that's what the Miracle Morning gave me. I saw how things were gonna get better and better and better every day that I did the Miracle Morning. And once that happened, then I realized that, it was only a matter of time. And so my depression went away because I knew that it was only a matter of time. And, and that was, gosh, that was like seven years ago. And now, you know, I mean, I wrote a book a few years ago and it is now one of the highest rated books on Amazon. I'm humbled to say that, you know, with over 1500 five-star reviews and, um, and we've impacted over, you know, 200,000 lives in 46 countries around the world. And, um, that this is my life's work. Now my mission is to change, you know, elevate the consciousness of humanity one morning at a time. And it's not just a fancy tagline. I mean, it's really what I wake up every day and ask myself, how can I continue to change individual lives in a way that will change the world? First and foremost, move your alarm clock back 30 minutes earlier, okay? I don't care who you are. We can all get up 30, minute, 30 minutes earlier. If that means going to bed 30 minutes earlier, that's fine. Go to bed 30 minutes earlier. Now, before I continue, Nathan, let me just, for anybody who's wondering, like, eh, I don't know if I really, do I really, I'm a night owl. Like, I'm a night Like, a lot of people, I'm a night owl. You're not born a night owl, and you can switch that. And I'll tell you, one of the most successful night owls I've ever met is Pat Flynn. You know, Pat Flynn has a seven-figure business. He runs marathons. So when I say successful, not only is he successful in business, but he runs marathons. He's a phenomenal dad and a phenomenal husband and a phenomenal friend and just a great human being. Like, he's just a well-rounded, successful person in every area of his life. And when Pat interviewed me on the Smart Passive Income, you know, on his podcast, he told me, he's like, Hal, I'm a night owl. You know, I don't, uh, he goes, I wake up in the morning when my kids come and, you know, jump on me and say, Dad, 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 you know. And he goes, So, you know, I'm not sure if the Miracle Mornings for me, but I've heard good things about it. So I wanted to have you on the show. So, Nathan, at that point, I'm going, How in the hell am I going to convince this, you know, Pat Flynn? who has like, he's crushing it in business. He, so it's not broken, right? He doesn't need to fix it. It's not broken. It's like a new entrepreneur just looking for, you know, secrets to success. I go, and how am I going to convince him that, you know, no, no, Pat, I know you, you know, you think it's cute and sweet and endearing how your kids wake you up in the morning, but I have a better way. Set your alarm clock in the morning before they come in. Like, you know, how are you going to convince him? So, I, it was an uphill battle, but I just, I just shared with him all the things that I've been sharing with you. And I was kind of pleasantly surprised at the end of the interview. He said, Hal, I'm going to try this. I'm going to give it one month. I'm actually going to wake up 30 minutes earlier, maybe even 60 minutes earlier. He said, I'm gonna give it a try. And I'm going to report back to my audience and to you how it goes. I give you my word. I commit. And I was like, Oh, awesome. You know, I don't know if he'll stick with it, but Hey, at least he's going to give it a try. And Nathan. He, uh, I mean, you can see he posted on his blog about it. Within a matter of weeks, he was like hashtagging Miracle Morning at the gym at 5 a.m. And here's what Pat says. Somebody that was already running a seven-figure business, seven-figure entrepreneur, he said that switching from a night owl to doing the Miracle Morning increased by productivity by at least 400%. Wow. So, Nathan, so I'm sharing that with you, buddy. This is my way of sharing with you because you're a successful entrepreneur that right, could justify, hey, it's not broken. I don't need to fix it. And Pat Flynn, right, great example, it increases productivity by 400%. So I just wanted to mention that for anybody that's like still not sure if they should give this a try before I tell you how to give it a try. So, all right, I'll dive in now. Set your alarm clock back 30 minutes. And here's what you need to realize. There's, there's a couple parts to the miracle morning, like the key benefits. The first one is... Is simply the discipline that you develop and the mindset that you begin every day with by waking up on purpose at the time that you don't actually have to be up, right? Because see, most of us wake up when we have to wake up. Like we literally think about how you set your alarm, Nathan, and how most of us do it. We we set our alarm, we look at our schedule, and you go, okay, I need to start the day at, you know, I got a call at this time or an interview, or my, I, I work or whatever. And, uh, and we go, what's the last possible second <laughs> yeah. that I can wake up to not like have a major negative consequence? Like, you know, if you're a parent, you're like, get my kids kicked out of school or have them taken away from me or get, you know, lose my house or my business or whatever. Right. That's how we wake up. And it's, I call it a mediocre morning. You're like, what's the minimum I can do to get by? Like, that's not a way to start your day. So if you think about it, if you start your day by hitting the snooze button, you're telling your subconscious, I don't have the discipline to get out of bed in the morning, you know, at a set time, let alone the discipline to do everything else in my life I need to do. So that's the first part of the miracle morning is wait, set the alarm clock earlier and do it as a challenge to yourself. Be like, dude, am I a badass or not? Like, do I have the discipline to get out of bed at 30 minutes earlier than I have to? Like, yes or no, right? So do that. And and you need to commit the night before. That's a important part because... The miracle morning doesn't start when the alarm clock goes off. If you're depending your decision on whether or not you're going to get up in the morning in that moment when you have like no discipline when the alarm goes off, you're you're toast. You got to decide before you go to bed. You got to think through it, visualize it. Just take a minute. To commit and say, I am committed. When the alarm goes off at 6 a.m. or 5:30 or 5 or whatever it is, I'm getting out of bed no matter what. And visualize the whole first few minutes. I'm going to walk across the room, brush my teeth, wash my face, put on my workout clothes, and go downstairs and drink a full glass of water to rehydrate. That's you know, that's the first part of the miracle morning. And if you visualize and commit to that before you go to bed, then when the alarm goes off and you're like, oh, I'm tired. Like even if you're tired, it's easy to walk over and brush your teeth and wash your face and drink a full glass of water. And here's the secret. Every minute that you stay awake is that much easier to continue to stay awake, right? I call it your wake up motivation level. Like when the alarm goes off, your wake up motivation levels at like a one or a two, but every minute you stay up, it goes up a notch or two, right? So, and the first tip I'll give, the ne- the first key to this, the logistical tip that is a game changer. In fact, I was introduced by uh, I spoke at a, uh, a, an entrepreneur organization, the leading entrepreneurs organization, their New York chapter, and uh, they, the CEO of a company called Lawline that introduced me, David, uh, David Sherman, he, he said, I don't know how I was going to share this, so I want to make sure that I share this with you, this one tip in his book. It seems, I almost totally overlooked it because it seemed like just simple. I didn't need to do it. He said, if it wasn't for this, I would not be doing the Miracle Morning because I'd still be hitting the snooze button. And here's the tip, you guys. Move your alarm clock across the room. Most of us keep our alarm clock on our bedside table. And that means that you're making the decision on whether or not you're going to get out of bed when the alarm goes off and you're at your weakest level of willpower and discipline. If the alarm clock is across the room, Ideally, it's in the bathroom or on the way to the bathroom so that when you turn it off, you just the momentum, you keep going to that pre-bed visualization that you saw yourself turning off the alarm and going into the bathroom to brush your teeth and wash your face and drink water. You've got to do that. Alarm clock across the room. That way, you're out of bed, and it's much easier to stay out of bed when you're out of bed versus when you're under the covers, right? And then last but not least, Nathan, there are six practices of the miracle morning. I'll rattle them off real quick. Meditation, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and journaling. If you study any of the world's most successful people, you'd be hard-pressed to find one that didn't swear by at least one of those practices. And none of them are really better than the other. Like some millionaires and billionaire entrepreneurs swear by meditation. Some of them swear by Visualization. Some of them swear by morning exercise, right? Or the books they read. So any one of these practices is a game changer. And what makes the miracle morning so powerful, and I'll actually quote Robert Kiyosaki, who wrote the book Rich Dad Poor Dad. He emailed me, actually, his assistant did, and said, Robert has read your book three times. This is Robert Kiyosaki, who sold 26 million copies of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I was like one of my mentors, you know, like. People that I've yeah, looked up. It's to.
0: a killer book, man. I, I love yeah. that
1: book. Yeah. And he he read The Miracle Morning three times and then he interviewed me on his show. And this is what he said. He goes, Hal, before the Miracle Morning, every single one of the every successful person on the planet does at least one of the practices that you teach, those six practices. Some of them do two or maybe even three. He said, But I've never heard of anyone that does all six of them until the miracle morning. And he said, Now I do all six practices every single day. And it's been a game changer for me. And this is somebody that's worth $80 million, you know? And so, I mean, I still get like, you know, like chills when I like talk about, you know, when I remember that conversation with Robert, but, um, so here's the deal. You don't need to do all six practices to start your miracle morning. Okay. Wake up 30 minutes earlier and do one of the six. I'll I'll name them off again. Meditation, affirmations, visualization, Exercise, reading, and journaling, and what I recommend—what most people do when they first start their Miracle Morning—if they haven't read the book yet—is reading. Like they'll, they'll get the book and start reading it, and that's their Miracle Morning. Like for the first you know few weeks until they finish the book or get to the part where they learn the other practices and how to do them, they go, okay, I'm just going to wake up thirty minutes earlier and I'm going to read the Miracle Morning, right? Or maybe you exercise for 15 minutes and then read for 15, right? Or do the seven minute workout app, you know, and then read Mm. for 23 minutes or whatever, but that's it. So you're starting your day with two things. Number one is discipline by waking up a little earlier. And number two is personal development. And that's what enables you to develop yourself into the person that you need to be to create anything that you want for your life. And that's what the Miracle Morning is all about. Okay,
0: last but
1: not least, we have the
0: king himself, Mr. Tony Robbins. Now, I know Tony is a huge inspiration to many, many people. Some of you guys may know him, some of you guys might not know him. He's moved into the finance space now with his last few book releases. But in this episode, he really talks about hunger, entrepreneurship, money, you name it. I know you're gonna absolutely love this one, Tony's a hero of mine as well. All right, guys, now let's jump in yeah look it it's an absolutely brilliant book tony and it's it's such an honorable thing you're doing. I highlighted and took all sorts of you know bits of gold from the book, and there's a couple of of little one liners that I'd just like to share with you that really hit home for me, and I'd like you to to comment on them. One thing that really hit home was no matter how much money you earn you always find a way to spend it which is which is so true and everybody I think especially a lot of our audience now they're probably thinking you know you know once I start making you know 20 30k a month or once I become a millionaire then it'll be okay you know I'll be safe I'll I'll be secure
4: but you you will be to a certain extent but you will always have a way to spend it right Well, what happens is you're, you know, as you become more skillful, as you find a way to add more value and you're able to earn more, you're you're that same creativity and imagination that helps you do more for others, allows you to think of other things you want to create or do or experience for your family or people you love or things you want to contribute. And when I interviewed all the people for this book, I asked them all does financial pain or financial, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Pressure, I guess the word I use, financial pressure ever go away? 98% 98% of the people I interviewed said no, and these are multi-billion some of them have $20 billion. In their case, though, like Paul Tudor Jones said to me, Tony goes, there's this piece of land that I want to buy that's so expensive that he said, even in my position, he said, but it's these thousands and thousands of acres outside of Georgia that he wants to buy and preserve so that 100 years from now, the forest will be back and people will have those. And he can't just do that out of his cash flow, right? So you know, it's like you buy one island, and all of a sudden your finances are changed overnight. I know that from experience. You know, you buy a jet. So, and, and it's not about money anyway. It's really about your ability to take what you envision and turn it into reality. To take just pure spirit ideas and convert that into something physical. That's a spiritual game. I really believe business is a spiritual game. Where else is it closer to every religion on earth, which in essence is teaching you to love thy neighbor as thyself. Every religion has a different description, but at its core, that's what life's about. Which means you do love yourself and you love thy neighbor as thyself, but you also love your neighbor. You're going you're gonna to do unto them as you'd want them to do unto you. Well, my gosh, if, if you are in business, you have to deliver for people. You can't prosper unless you're doing more for them than anybody else is doing. So it's a spiritual game. Similarly, if you could be, you know, more loving, should you be? If you wouldn't question, you say, of course I should be more loving. If you could increase your intelligence, should you? Of course I should. If you could be more generous, should you? Of course I should. If you could make more money, should you? Why would that be any different? And so it's not about the money. It's about expanding capacity. That's really what it is. And it's, you know, I'm at the stage of my life. My wife was saying, "My like, of, hey, you know, at this point, it's kind of silly. It's like, you know, why do you work? I said, what do you mean, why do I work? You know I work. I have a mission. I have a mission. I don't have to work. Financial independence, by the way, is not not working. If financial independence is not having to. And Then usually, you'll work at something you love that much more because interesting statistic, you know, young people starting businesses, not all young entrepreneurs are young in age. Some are young in mind, so some of your uh, readers may be older in age. At 55, I remember when I was growing up, the idea was make enough money so that you can retire at 40 and you just you just live off the land and have an island and do all that kind of stuff, right? Mm. And I did that at 26. <laughs> and six <laughs> months later, I want to kill myself. It's like, there's only so many margaritas I could drink in those days or girls I could chase. Like, you want to do something. Plus, all your friends are working. Today, my closest friends are people like Steve Wynn, who built half of Las Vegas. You know, he's 72 years old. Warren Buffett is 75 years old, I think. Or, excuse me, 83 years old. I could could give you a list of 12 people. Peter Guber owns the Los Angeles Dodgers, was president of Sony, and president of Mandalay Pictures, got 52 Academy Award nominations, brilliant friend of mine, 72 years old. They're all working more today than they ever have in their lives, and they're loving it. Today, if you interview people who make more than $750,000 a year, 85% of them say they'll never retire, (laughs) and the 15% that say they do say they won't before 75 so I think the game of mastering money is to not have to work. And then you walk different, you talk different, you live different, you do, and you have a different lifestyle and you find yourself, you know, I work harder today than I ever did back then. So I really believe that, yes, you know, if you want to see what people can spend, look at great entertainers and you look at somebody like a Michael Jackson who was near bankrupt before he died. You know, you look at somebody like Mike Tyson the greatest boxer in history, made more, he made a billion dollars, a fighter, personally earned a billion dollars in personal income and went bankrupt, Mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, Money Mayweather is is now his replacement and he carries around a satchel of cash of a million bucks just in case the Louis Vuitton needs a visit (laughs) and and I, I think he's a brilliant guy and I think he's starting to grow out of it, I hope he does for his sake. Because right now he fights, spend the money, Fight, spend the money, Fight, spend the money, which sounds crazy to us, but that's what most people do. They work, spend the money, work, spend the money, work, spend the money. So the only way you ever get financially free is you make money your slave and you stop being the slave to money. And the way you do that is something simple. You don't make the stupid mistake most people do. You stop being just a consumer and you become an owner, become an investor, and you don't wait till you have a bunch of money. You're struggling to start your business. You barely have enough cash for your own business. You still invest now. Because every business owner must have a money machine, a money machine independent of your business, because 96% of all businesses are gone in 10 years. And I'm sure yours is the one that's going to make it, but only 4% make it in 10 years. Mm. And of those 4%, most of those aren't profitable. So what you want to do is have something on the side. And I'll give you an example. There's a man I wrote about in the book named Theodore Johnson. He worked for UPS, the shipping company. Yes, In his lifetime, he never made more than $14,000 U.S. in a year. Annual salary topped at $14,000. He retired with $70 million U.S. dollars, and he didn't receive any inheritance. It was all his compounded interest on his investments. He gave away $35 million while he was alive. Now, how is that possible? Because a friend of his pulled him aside and said, I want to make you wealthy. He said, I want you to save money and invest. He goes, I have no money. I only make 14000 a year. And everybody would agree with him except his friend. His friend said, you know what? If the government came in and said, there's a 20% additional tax on your money, you would scream, you would yell, and you would pay it because you have to. He said, we're going to tax you for your future. We're going to make you rich. He took 20% off the top of his money. He put it in an investment account and it was automated so he could never touch it, never saw it. And it grew to $70 million into his old age. So- People need to understand the power everybody's heard about the power of compounding, but my God, if you are young, and young is anything under 70, <laughs> you want compounding. Because I talk to seven-year-olds, they go, God, I wish I would have done this when I was 60. Six-year-olds say I wish I'd fifty. Fifty 50. year olds go, I wish it was forty. You know, 30 year olds say I wish I would do it was 20. You want to do it now. I, I interviewed the gentleman who helped to create index funds, you know, that are now so famous around the world. And he's a professor at Princeton. His name's Bert Malkiel. And uh, I interviewed Burton. I said, what is the biggest mistake investors make? And he said, the biggest mistake they make is they think they know it, but they don't apply compounding. They just don't do it. They wait too long. So, like, your your work ethic is is crazy. Like, what have you had
0: to sacrifice to get where you are today?
4: Well, it's interesting. I I don't look at it as sacrifice. I look at it as what I'm made for. I mean, I'm, it's like, what else are you going to do with your life? I mean... People would say to me, Well, you sacrifice, you know, playtime. You sacrificed, you know, time you could have just been relaxing. You sacrificed playing golf. And you know, I still do a few of those things every now and then. You know, I play six, eight holes of golf. I don't want to play eighteen holes of golf, you know. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm I'm over here, you know racing Lamborghinis here right now, 70 kilometers from the Arctic Circle, you know, I'm going to do this for two days and, and play like crazy. So, you know, I, I've sacrificed letting go, relaxing, I sacrifice doing nothing, but I don't see those things as a sacrifice. On the other hand, I like the idea that I will sacrifice my body, my heart, my soul, for, even for a stranger, because it makes me feel like my life has a deeper meaning than just about myself. And I think that's really what matters in life. You know, the first time I worked with, you know, Princess Diana or President Clinton called me and I was thirty-one years old and I'm, you know, he's he's he'd been such a popular president, all of a sudden, you know, the the Congress in America had been taken over by the Republicans and he was seen as totally ineffective. And and he's calling me saying on Christmas Eve, will you fly, you know, to Camp David and meet me and coach me. And I said to him, Mr. President, I want to be very respectful, but I'm not a fan. So if you want someone just gonna tell you what you wanna hear, I'm the wrong guy. And but the guy that I was at his house who called, it was a very wealthy man, looked at me, are you crazy mouthing to me? That's the president of the United <laughs> States you don't met to. And President Clinton was really a beautiful guy. He said, listen, he said, I like your style. He goes, I'm looking for someone to shoot me straight. So, you know, when you're sitting down, I'm walking through the, the woods and, and deer are running by and I'm and Camp David, I'm 31. And I got the president of the United States asking me what he should do. It's kind of a trippy experience. I've had a lot mm. of those along the way that they, they come from God's blessings, they come from extremely hard work. I always tell people, when you see somebody's extraordinary in public, you've not seen all the intense things they've done in private. You only get rewarded in public for what you've practiced unbelievably intensely in private. I'm always pushing myself beyond. And so you do that for decades and you get opportunities. And if you can deliver in those opportunities, life rewards you disproportionately. And I've had that great blessing.
0: Do you ever believe in giving up? Is it is it ever the right thing to do in your eyes in
4: business? I think there are some businesses that are not a sustainable model anymore. I mean, if you know, there are businesses that at one time there was a margin in and now they've become commodities. So I am a pragmatist, but I don't believe in giving up. I believe that what you have to do is fall in love with your clients. Don't fall in love with your product or your service because it will become outdated. I don't give a shit what it is. Technology is going so fast. The world is changing constantly and forever. So the mistake people make is most entrepreneurs, excuse me, build a company that reflects what they want. Instead, you got to say, who is my ideal client? Who are the clients that will be able to grow with me through time? And then I'm going to learn everything about their needs, their wants, their desires. I'm going to learn more about what they need than they even know they need. And I'm going to be 10 steps ahead of them, delivering more value for them than anyone else, because that's the only way that you stay wealthy. You can make money. I scream somebody over, but you can't be wealthy and stay wealthy unless you continue to find a way to add more value than anybody else does. And that, that means it never stops. I mean, it's funny. I have people over the years come up to me at times in my seminars and I'll have you know, a guy come up to me and give this really intense look. And he says, you know, in a couple of years, I'll be where you are and you better watch out. <laughs> and I just laugh and I smile and I say, I hope I hope that's true. I hope in two years you are where I am, because when you get to where I am, you'll be where I was. <laughs> I said, you don't stand a chance. I'm not going to stop growing, but you should give it your best shot. <laughs> I, I like competition. So it's like you've got to keep growing. That can never stop. Mm.
0: Look, we have to work towards wrapping up, Tony, but I have a few more questions. One is that one thing that I see amongst, you know, the successful entrepreneurs that I speak to and the you know aspiring entrepreneurs or the people that can never get started is they don't have that fire. They don't have that passion, that burning desire. And I find that they don't want it bad enough. Simple, in the simplest form, they don't want it bad enough. And, you know, what does it take to develop that passion, that fire, just that wanting it bad enough? Like that's something that you have that I can really, you know, Anyone listening, they can hear the passion, that, that
4: fire inside of you. Well, it, you hit the nail on the head. When people ask me, what's the single, if you had to give only one trait that's the core to all the most successful people on earth, whether they be in business or in politics or in finance or sports, the answer is hunger. But it's a special kind of hunger. It's a hunger that doesn't go away. You know, most people get hungry because they see something they want or they haven't had enough of what they want. But if your hunger is only driven by your needs, then it's easy to get fulfilled in the world we live in today, especially with the Internet. You can make yourself you know, meet all your needs. You can feel certain. You can feel significant by tearing other people down. You can connect with people without having to work about it. I mean, it's easy to meet your basic needs and settle. But you know, you look at the people who are the greatest on earth at anything. You know, whether it be you know uh, Tiger Woods and, and all the years that he's been able to do the things he's done, and he's not doing as well now. But my, nobody has nobody's equaled him, and God only knows how long. Or you look at a Michael Jordan in the NBA or a LeBron James currently. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are people. You know, Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant makes three hundred shots every practice before he stops. He has to make three hundred shots. I mean, it's like you know the the mindset of people like that is he could have. You know, you could have said, say, look, I'm the best in the world. I make $28 million a year. I got endorsements of 100 million bucks a year. You know, I, I don't need to work this hard, but he's never lost his hunger. So how do you get that hunger? That hunger comes usually from pain, quite frankly. People that haven't had pain don't usually have that level of hunger, or you have to have something that ignites you that you want more than yourself. I always tell people the source of energy is not you the source of energy is a mission bigger than you. Because if you can find something that you are excited about, like I got more excited last year when I said, I'm going to feed 100 million people. I'm going to feed 50 million personally. I'm going to provide the matching funds. I'm going to feed 100 million people in one year. I only fed 42 million in my whole life. Only, it's still pretty amazing. But it's like, you know, I got more excited about that Just about anything else I was doing, I I had to come up with new tools, new resources. When I started out, there was no way I had the funding to make that happen or the strategy, or even how was I going to distribute all that food? I mean, it was like this giant vision, but it was bigger than me. It wasn't like, oh, how do I make enough money so I can buy another house, you know, or buy a mansion, or you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But I found that in my life, you know, people, when they aspire to take care of themselves, you're part of life. So life supports whatever supports more of life. If you want to do something, it's gonna make your life bigger and better, then you're gonna get a certain level of insight. If you're doing it because you're trying to support more than yourself, say your family, well, that's more than just you, and life gives you more insights. Trying to support a community, that's different. You're trying to support a level of humanity, the game gets bigger. And as the game gets bigger, it gets more exciting, there's more energy, and then the hunger never dies. I mean, if I was just trying to say, you know, what do I gotta do so that I can have a great life? Well, you know. I got my islands and I got my jets and I got all that crap. You know, it's not crap. It's all beautiful, wonderful gifts, but you can take all that shit away and you can't take away what I've become, who I've become as a man and what I've delivered for millions of people. I could die tomorrow and say, I live well. This is a meaningful life. I don't want to die tomorrow, but if I did, I'm going to have zero complaint. And I feel like I live fully that hunger you either get because you had enough pain. And instead of letting the pain destroy you, you turned it into drive. Or you get that hunger because you get inspired by something larger than yourself. Or get around people that are hungry and let them hit you. I mean, you get around in an environment, we become who we spend time with. Mm. So that's why I do events. You, know, you get an event with 5,000 people in Sydney, and you see people from every walk of life. Some of the biggest you know, Olympian champions are going to be there, stars from television, movies, business people, moms, dads. And we're rocking at a level of intensity you've never seen in an auditorium. And I don't give a damn where you've been, what concert you've been to. You are going to go into state. When you go in that state, you're going to remember who you are. When you remember who you are, you're going to remember what you really want and what you want to create for your life. So getting in environments like that and getting yourself around people like that and let something hit you. Yeah,
0: no, this is this is awesome because this is this is your like to me, this is this is what what I know you about and and in your work. So I, I had to ask you that question. Three action items for aspiring and novice stage entrepreneurs from you
4: looking to build a successful business. Number one, you must decide who is your market specifically, and you must know more about them than anybody else. I mean, that is number one. If you're going to go into a business area, don't go in that area because you write great code and you want to write great code or you're a great fashion designer. Go into that industry and say, who do I want to design clothes for? Who do I want to write this code for? Who do I want to build this for? What do they need? What do they want? What do they desire? See, I always tell people to influence someone, which business, you got to influence to become your client and then to stay your client. To influence somebody, you got to know it already influences them. So the more you know about their needs, their desires, their wants, their fears, the more you can figure out what they need and how to do it better than anybody, how to fulfill that need better than anybody else. That is rule number one. If you can't tell me precisely and specifically, not generally, men, women, you know, from age 22 to whatever, I want to know psychographically, emotionally, where do they live? I want you to give me a a half dozen people, personas of six people that are your core clients, the best clients you think you're going to get. And now tell me what they need and tell me why you're going to deliver it better. And tell me, number two, what is the competition? You better know what your competition is. Because you know, if you don't know what the competition is, it's going to hit you. And the competition may not be out there. It's what's coming. New technology, new elements. So you need to know who your client is. going got to know what the competition is. That's how you also know you can keep that competitive edge. And then I think the third thing you got to do in making this happen is you've got to decide that from day one, you're going to get quality financial guidance. And what I mean by that is don't just get a damn CPA or an accountant. Most people don't even do that. Most of us entrepreneurs, we hate numbers. We hate accounting. And so you get a CPA and you go, how am I doing? And they go, oh, you're profitable. And you go, yay. You have a beer. You have a shout. You, know, you go, great. But you know, profit is a theory. I just want to warn every entrepreneur here. If you haven't already experienced this, you can have this huge profit at the end of the year there's no cash. So accounting is a weird world. And you don't have to become an accountant. But you have to get somebody who can advise you. You need to get a CFO. And the problem is you probably can't afford one because, you know, an accountant you can get for an hourly wage, a CFO might cost you $300,000 a year. So that's why in the first year, 50% of businesses are gone for a lot of reasons. But in five years, 80% of businesses are gone. And the ones that are gone in 10 years, 96% are gone. It's not because it wasn't a good product or service usually, or the owner didn't care or work hard. It's because they didn't know their numbers. They were f- driving their car thinking they were going 35 miles an hour, and they were driving 100 because mm. they're getting the wrong gauges. They thought they had a full tank of gas, and they were on E, and they found out too late, and now they're gone. So I actually started a service called My CFO, which is a virtual CFO service, because if you look at my career, my business is now do over $5 billion a year in sales, the combined businesses. So yeah. I mean, they've grown from a level that's just mind-boggling to me. But I almost was bankrupt multiple times. And it was not because I wasn't driven or I didn't care or I wasn't doing great for my clients. My clients love me, but the economics were wrong. So you've got to get, and, and what I, and I'm not the only one who's doing it. There are these virtual CFOs now that you can get. You need to get somebody who can turn financial numbers into intelligence to go, you got to do this so there's more money in the bank. You got to do that. You got to change your pricing. You got to spend less more money on this and more on that. You need someone to guide you or you won't make it. You'll do well when things are going well. But then when the storm comes, it's kind of like flying an airplane. You know, I'm a helicopter pilot and a fixed-wing pilot as well. When it's sunny skies, that's called DFR, visual flying rules. You can fly. Anybody can fly. Who knows how to, you know, basically fly an engine. But when there's storms and clouds and, and that type of thing, you have to be able to read those gauges. And if you can't read them, you're going to crash and die.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Tony. One last question. I'm very, you know, you've been so generous with your time and this has been an amazing interview. If you had your, you know, your last speech that you could make, you know, 30 seconds, what would you say, your
4: dying speech? The secret to living is giving. Life's too short to focus on yourself. Find something more than yourself, larger than yourself. Find a vision greater than yourself that will get you up early and keep you up late and fill your life with growth and joy because that's where all that love is going to come from. It's not about getting love; It's about doing something you love with people you love. For a higher purpose that you love that will make you feel filled with love. And from that, there's a life of passion that most people would only dream about.
0: Okay, guys. So that is it. That is the wrap for this series. This is the last episode of the Founder Fifth Birthday Highlights. I hope you've enjoyed this. As I said in a few other episodes, like, guys, if you are enjoying these, please do let us know. Email us. You can email us at supportfounder.com, F O U N D R.com. Anything we do to help, we're here to help. All right, guys, I hope you have an incredible day wherever you are around the world. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your earbuds with me. I'll speak to you soon. Hope you have a great day. Ciao. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business